Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone. Episode 20. We're one episode away from this podcast being able to legally drink. It's a, it's a terrible thing. I don't know why I brought that up. Anyway, we're talking about carving, people. Well, no, 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 not, not carving people. This is not that kind of podcast. But I mean, people, we're talking about carving. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know what? Let's let's get to the uh, skill class. Hey, Tom, what skill class is carving? Oh, I'm so glad you asked today. And uh, again, thanks for having me back on the show. It's good to be here. Um, I, you know, we talked about this, and, and you thought it was low, and I was like, I scoffed at you, and you just kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's low. I think it's kind of high. I feel like you asked this weird question that made me think it was like a 50. And uh, you, you kind of said, um, you know, out of the people that you know that carve, you know, do you think that they are really good carvers or or just, you know, average carvers or something like that? And I feel like everybody that does carving is like an incredible artist. And they just, I, I don't know, everybody has such high skill levels in carving at least from my point of view. And I think that's because I really don't do any of it and I don't have experience in it, which any skill that I'm not proficient in is clearly a high level skill. That, that was the weirdest skill classification I've ever heard, Tom. Was there a number in there somewhere? Oh yeah. Three. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to respond. Tanda, Tanda, what, what did you find in your research on carving? I didn't do any research on carving. Tanda. Oh, good, me neither. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, there's power in numbers, Tanda. Stick together. Tom Tom called me and said, don't do any research on carving. Whatever you do, don't do any research on carving. And then I was kind of relying on the on the name of our, our text group. And it, and, it got ch- and it got changed to pooping, and I was pretty sure that wasn't it. <laughs> PJ, uh, you don't know this yet, but um, somewhere around Friday of last week, we all uh, we all decided to unionize, and by we all, I mean Tanda and I. So um, I I don't think we're going to do research anymore. <laughs> I mean, we might. And and by and by any more, <laughs> and by any more, I mean we're going to continue to not do research. Then the union needs to come up with a new name for this segment. No, it doesn't. There, we are under no obligation to uh, provide new direction for this segment per our union creed. Obviously, you didn't read the union bylaws, Tom. That's exactly what it says in there. I didn't. I didn't write them either. They don't. They don't quite exist yet. Well, like I said, you didn't read the union bylaws. That's so. You, if you take away yeah. the segment, you've got to replace it with something else. Well, that's pre-union mentality. I think you need to. Uh, catch up with the times here all right i'm overriding your union and dissolving it (laughs) okay okay i did i did a little bit of research i have to be honest and uh she just googled it while we were talking yeah i I just uh i just i just (laughs) typed it in and uh and i it was surprising because uh i think it's perfect it's uh it says difficult to please critical she has Silenced the carping critics with a successful debut tour. Are you talking about craving? And I thought that sounded just like PJ right now, being very difficult to please. 
Oh, wait. No, it says carping. Excuse me. It says carping. I think I had a typo there. Perfect. Are you trying to look up something to do with fish? Is that is that where we're going now? Yeah, with... carping. Yeah, I found I found lots of lots of stuff on it here. And I think carping is what Tom just got done doing. I... <laughs> okay. I did I did look it up and I did get distracted very quickly because uh, George Washington Carver popped up in the in the Google search, and uh, I kind of rekindled my affection for him. Uh, he he was always a um, I don't know. I always thought it was a cool a cool human when I was a kid. I mean, I still do, but I I used to too. Oh, that's okay. I mean, but, if you guys want me to just do this part of the podcast by myself and you just sit there and listen, that's fine with me. I don't I don't. It's not not a bother. Oh, perfect. I'll be back in twenty. Yeah, it'll be just like the dealer's corner. You know, I just stand it. You know, I just talk by myself and you guys just stare at me. You know, so basically it's just going to be like me talking the entire podcast from now on. Is what you're saying. Uh, continue. Oh, oh, sorry, I thought <laughs> we could uh, continue with what you're saying. You know, we could have just sat there for five minutes. He would have just cut it. He would have just cut it out anyway. I should have kept my mouth yeah. shut. <sighs> hey, PJ, what did you find on carving? I decided to specialize in chip carving because I follow a few people on Instagram that do chip carving, and I find that stuff fascinating because I've never done it. Of course, you know me. I looked up when was chip carving invented, and according to some obscure resources, it looks like it started somewhere between the 1100s and the 1500s in the Gothic period, and where it started was with masonry, uh, masonries, mason, masonry, the masonites. I don't know the people that do stonework. <laughs> you know? Mason, the masons, the masons. Yeah. yeah. Freemasons. Meet the Masons. Yeah, so... Yeah, the Masonites are flatter and thinner. Aren't those the Mennonites? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. So they were creating cathedrals and, you know, these structures, and they were all made out of stone. And the woodworkers were apparently trying to get in on the action, but everything was made out of stone. And so when they finally let, like, the woodworkers in on it, the woodworkers were trying to copy the carving style of... The masons and the masons would do sort of these you know chiseled in cuts and so that's what the woodworkers started doing but then at some point in time the woodworkers were like hey wood is way easier to carve than stone is let's start you know making this stuff look better and so they started doing way more ornate work and then over time what ended up happening is it flipped 180 degrees and the stone workers were then trying to copy the woodworkers with the chip carving because the chip carving had gotten so detailed and so intricate that it was difficult for the uh, stone masons to keep up. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And you can, if you're not familiar with chip carving, it's uh, where you take a blade or a chisel and you pull, you literally take out chips or strips of wood in a single stroke. Uh, that's where the chip comes from. And you see this all over the place in tables, furniture, um, uh, boxes that have carved. Uh, and it, it looks like, if you're looking at it, it's very easy to identify. It has sort of like a triangular shape to it. Like the cuts have almost always two to three sides that look triangular, which is one of the reasons I really love it, because I love triangles, my obsession with triangles. Anyway, I started looking a little bit further 
And um, I stumbled onto a general wood carving thing that I thought was hilarious. And it just said, uh, wood carving in China constitutes three major categories, architecture carving, furniture carving, and artworks carving. I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And then it said, wood carving as handiworks for display or fondling started in the Song Dynasty 960 to 1279 AD when the practice of fondling artworks gradually rose among men of letters and scholars. All I could think about was ancient Chinese guys fondling wood. <laughs> how is that? How does that make it into like, yes, they're all wood fondlers. What? Like, I I'm not making this up. Something's like, lost in translation. This is, this is on an actual website somewhere. Oh well, that that makes it legit. Yeah, not one of those fake, none of those fake websites, but one you can actually go to on your computer. Right. Yeah, yeah, an, an actual real website, not not one of those ones in a cardboard box. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. All right, the winter drought has broken. Tom, I know you got a dealer's corner. I do. It's a hot one. Happened today. And I have to ship the item out tomorrow. And the item is a First Gear, is the brand. It's a First Gear 134 scale roll-off truck. You know what that is? I don't know what that was. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a die cast model. It's a very high-end die cast model. I think new, these things are like 270 bucks or so. Uh, highly detailed, really cool looking. And mine happens to be a promotional item from RD, RDK, the, the truck. Are they a truck company? Or are they a waste company? I don't remember. Anyways, it was their anniversary. It's from years ago. My father got it from, uh, from the company itself, uh, I think. I have, no, I, I, I have no attachment to this thing. And I especially have no attachment to it after the offer I received on it today. So I had posted, I joined a group for First Gear DCM, diecast models, and I posted something about it just asking information because there was no information on this particular model and color scheme. So two guys text me today. One I will call Brian and the other I will call Owen. Well, because those are their names. But Brian messages me and he says, uh, he gives me an offer of $450 for this for this toy. And I couldn't believe it. And I know if you're in that world, I'm sure that's normal, right? Now, this truck happens to be completely painted gold. The only thing that is not gold in color are the actual rubber tires. The rims are gold, but the tires are black rubber. It's a cool-looking model, but... I don't know. I'd rather have like a normal painted one because it looks more realistic. But apparently this is a collector's item um, within the realm of collector's items. And I, and I entertained it for a moment and I was, I, you know, I told him I'd consider it and, and whatever. And within 10 minutes, Owen sends me a message. And Owen's message was, will you, will you be willing to sell your gold roll-off? Roll-off is the type of truck. Uh, would you accept $800? <laughs> Uh-huh. Of course I would accept $800, but I didn't tell him. 
I said, uh, that's a nice offer. I've received a few other offers since I made that post. I'd consider selling it, but I can't find pricing information at all. I'm genuinely trying to find information on what this thing is worth. Now, do I think it's worth more than $800? No, but what if it is? You never know. And that's one of my biggest fears with selling stuff is you sell it for way under the real value. Anyway, anyways, both of these guys are like, hey, give me your PayPal. Give me your PayPal. Let me send you money right away. They were both very eager, which makes me think it's worth more. But anyways, uh, I'm continuing softly with both of them at the same time. And I let Brian know that I have another offer. And I'm not playing hardball. I just said, Brian, someone just offered me $800. Am I crazy not to take that? And Brian responds, is his name Owen? (laughs) I said, yes, sir. And he said, yeah, he's trying to me. (laughs) So it got real. It got real, real quick. And I did not know this, but there is a lot of drama in the, in the DCM community. And I did not know that grown men act like children when they're trying to buy toys. So anyways, at this point, I'm like, these two guys are trying to con me. And that's mostly because I'm rewatching Better Call Saul and there's a lot of con jobs in there. So, you know, that's just my mentality at the moment. And I'm real skeptical at this point. And I even told both of them, I was like, you know, give me a couple days. Let me think about it. Anyways, I finally settle on Brian. Uh, They both bad mouthed each other. Like it was just so petty and comical. Uh, I don't know. It's just a toy. I don't know. Anyways, Brian is going to be the recipient of this this golden roll-off truck, and uh, I couldn't be happier. <laughs> so, so you you sold it for less money to the first guy? Is that what it, what it ended up being? Oh, I'm sorry. I le- no, Brian came up to eight hundred. Oh, oh, my mistake. Oh yeah, Brian came right up to eight hundred bucks. He hemmed and hawed, but. Uh, I got him up to 800. Oh, he, you know, I did, I never even told him I wanted 800 from him. He just knew that that was the bar now mm-hmm. and he had to come to it. Um, I honestly tried to get out of the deal. Like that was the way I was talking to both of them. I was backing out of the deal the entire time and it worked great. That's how you do it. So he paid $801 to get over that. No. <laughs> No, he 800 even, and he just he was first at it, so that that's the one dollar that you're thinking of. But that's a good deal for a truck that I just there's no, I have no sentimental value. I don't have another collection that it goes with. How big is the truck, Tom? Uh, 134 scale of a it's a uh it's a truck that um, how big is the model takes. Yeah, no, it's about a foot long, but okay. it's a truck that takes a um like a dumpster, like it lets a dumpster off, a roll a dumpster rolls off the truck. Um it's about a foot long, maybe a little little bigger. I'd say about four inches square from the end. You know, like this. So and then a foot long. What you're telling me is you sold most likely one of the ugliest trucks on the planet, painted completely gold. For a ridiculous amount of money. For uh, a MacBook Air, almost. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, this is the thing. What You know, Owen is... They're all giving me sob stories about who it's for and what it's for. And, like, Owen's 13-year-old son is a collector. I'm like, buy that kid a PS5. Like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are you buying him an $800 
piece, piece of metal. I don't... I'm sorry I'm insulting everyone that's into diecast. I get it, but not at that price. The diecast nerds know. are not offended. They know what they're doing. They know. I and they're they're just rolling their eyes at me and I'm okay with it. Yeah, they're like, he doesn't know it's worth two grand. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So this this reminds me of not really a story so much as an occurrence. Uh, I worked in high school, I worked for movie theater and Tom, did you ever see the movie Backdraft? Uh, no. It sounds familiar, though. It had Donald Sutherland and I'm trying to remember who the other main character was. Maybe it might have been Robert De Niro, I think. Yeah, Robert De Niro and one okay. of the Baldwins, I think. <clears throat> so anyway. I did not. I looked it up. I did not see it. it. Go ahead. It, it, I know Tanda's seen it because she's she's closer to my age. So it was, it was a while back, but uh, was, I'd say it was like early 90s. And ninety one. I was six. Yeah. So there you go. So it's a fire. It's a fireman's movie, fire truck movie, that kind of thing. And because I worked yeah. at the theater, there was promotional materials. And one of the things that we got at the theater, where we got these, they were sort of like baseball caps, but they said backdraft on the front, and they were not like the stiff kind of caps, like a baseball cap. They were sort of floppy. I don't know how to really describe it. It mm-hmm. was like a material cap. Anyway. There were promotional caps that all the employees got to advertise the movie while it was there. But if you guys remember, I told you I used to go to uh, fire truck wet downs with my father and sell T-shirts. We would do silk screening at the wet downs, and I would wear that hat because I didn't ha- I didn't like normal baseball caps, and I didn't have anything else to wear, and it was usually outside in the bright sun. So I'm wearing this backdraft hat to several of these wet downs. Every single one I went to, dudes were coming up to me, offering me cash money for that hat. They're like, I'll give you, I'll give you $50 for that hat, boy. And I'm like, no, it's not for sale. Oh, come on, man. That's a $50. Where can I get one? Oh, you can't get one that's a promotional item. Oh, come on. I'll give you 100 bucks for that hat. Like, no, nah, it's not for sale. And I still have it. I still have the hat somewhere in a box. I have no idea. It's probably, that's awesome. it's probably still worth $50, but, you know. <laughs> I'll wait. I'll wait another couple of years and then sell it for like eight hundred. Perfect. Painted gold. It worked for me. But back to our dealer's corner. I just found one on eBay for forty five dollars. The same kind, gold. No, no, no. Your hat. Oh, my hat. Is it forty five? <laughs> yeah. Does it have two axes? Does it have like a classic fire department symbol I, on the I, front and it says backdraft on I top? I believe so. Yes. That is awesome. I'll send you a link. So. Our dealer's corner call-in comes from Ben Makes KC on Instagram. He sent a picture of a Dayton bench grinder, a six-inch bench grinder, um, and it, it looks like it's in decent condition. So he says, so I went on Marketplace. This was listed for $40, so I didn't even haggle. Went to pick it up, and the wiring was shot. Not a big deal. But as I was visiting with the guy who was a metal sculptor, he invited me to dig through his scrap pile. In it was an older foreign-made bench grinder with a buffing wheel which had caught fire. It did, however, have good cords and lights. I asked him about it. He said I could take it. Well, after Frankensteining it together, I've got a good bench grinder with lights. All in all, a good deal. So I I saw what Ben did. He actually um, drilled out some extra holes on the back of the Dayton and put the cords in for both the lights and rewired everything with the new cord and it runs like new. And 40 bucks is a steal for a, a Dayton bench grinder. 
That's a great deal. Yeah. <clears throat> Only to be beaten by a Baldor grinder, which I have eluded me, by the way. I have I have not been able in my many travels to nail down a Baldor, but I will someday when it's not like five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. which is what they all go for. I don't think I've ever seen one. I've seen plenty, but they're all super expensive. I was talking to someone about Ryobi tools and told him I don't think I have a single Ryobi tool. And then I got back to my shop and noticed I had a bunch of old Ryobi tools, including <laughs> my bench grinder that I've had forever and ever is a Ryobi. But I just didn't make the association because it was the older color. Was it gray or blue? It's it's gray or grayish. Yeah, those are yeah. super old. Those are yeah. great. Before they were cool. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. Tanda, tell me about your personal history with carving. My personal history with carving? Well, I, I did a lot of research on uh, on wood carving. In particular, I kind of did a dive on these uh, woodmen or greenmen or wood woes or go by a lot of different names, but you see them often carved in like the top of walking sticks. So they're like the old men of the woods, usually this kind of wrinkly bearded guy with just the face and the beard and the hair carved into the grain of the stick. Yeah. I had no idea that that actually had a name. Yeah, me neither. I thought that was just like a face on a stick. Well, yeah, that's in some countries, that's what they call it, face on a stick. But, uh, you know, in other countries, they they have different names for them. And I think they were... uh, like wood spirits, I think you hear them called a lot. Wood woes was one that I hadn't heard before. And then a wild man, green man. But uh, my father-in-law got into carving them for a while. And so I was kind of trying to dig into the origins of them or what the meaning was. And it doesn't seem that anyone really, you know, really knows. But usually they, they're carved and then they come with a story of protecting the forest or, or something, which lend them a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of interesting background, but, uh, that's what, that's what, yeah. So, so these things are supposed to be protectors of the forest, but someone removed them from the forest and gave them to old men to walk around in town with. Right. Takes wood to make wood. Right. But as long as you, as long as you're careful and you only carve down to reveal the old man inside the stick, you're not hurting him. But if you decide to carve a little petite nose and he didn't have one originally, then that that can be a problem. You're, you're missing my point, Tanda. The, the forest is now unprotected. They're removing like all of the wood spirits that are supposed to be there protecting the forest and they're taking them to the city. Ah, so, you're, so you only walk, but you can go walk around the forest with your stick and your, and your woodman. Right, but unless you live in the forest... He's no longer protecting the forest. Ah, it's true. That's probably what's happening. That's what's happening. He's taking the fight to them. Smart. Ah, so he's he's distributing the forest out among the people to eventually rise up and... Yeah, yeah you can't fight a war in your own home turf. You'll destroy your home. Everybody knows that. So, so wait a minute. So how exactly is he fighting? What What is the... Does the walking stick like pooping tree seeds or something all over the place, trying to regrow in the city. How does that work? I, I can't explain hundreds of years of of this practice to you in a single podcast, PJ. You're just going to have to figure that out on your and own. Every time you poke your walking stick into the ground, it makes it makes a 
tiny dimple that an acorn could fall into. So, so that was my research, but I couldn't talk about it earlier because I thought I'd be a strike breaker and, uh, and then, and then I'd get in trouble with the union. And so I'm hoping that they only listen to the first part just to kind of keep us honest. And then I'm able to sneak that in. But, but my personal history with carving, I think, involves soap. I think the first thing I ever carved was a bar of soap. Did you guys ever do that in, like, school art class or something? Car- carve, carve soap with a popsicle stick? I carved a bar of soap out of, out of a bar of soap. Oh. So you made, you made, like, a little... That would be a great thing. You could start with, like, a bar of dial soap. And carve like a little tiny hospital or a hotel soap with the name of the hotel on it, and yeah. carve a different brand into yeah. it. <laughs> Lever two thousand converted into a Dove bar. You could you could get like probably four Dove bars easily out of a Lever two thousand. Oh yeah, yeah. I always preferred the Lever three thousand myself, but you know, it's I, I don't remember how old I was, but um, I did. I don't want to say I carved a bar of soap, but I decorated a bar of soap because I don't actually think, at least in my mind, there was much carving done. I turned it into a Viking ship. I don't remember how old it was. In, it was a school project, but I do remember I put like a toothpick with a paper on it as a mast. And then all along the sides, I had thumbtacks that were pointing outward. So like the spike was pointing outward, kind of like, you know, if like another ship was going to run into them, they'd get spiked. And that was it. Like there was no other detail. Maybe the front was carved to a point, but I don't really remember. It, I just remember it being like a Viking ship made out of soap. Mine was Mine was a deer. And so I just took this silhouette of a deer and, you know, started carving it from the side side view of the bar of soap. And I don't know if that was uh, something that was given to us or we were, you know, we chose from some, you know, limited selections or if I just chose a deer. But I, I distinctly remember this was probably like fourth or fifth grade, probably fifth grade. And it was just something we did in, in art class. That's the first thing I remember carving with intention. I'm sure I took a pocket knife to a stick at some point. I got to say, Tanda, a deer is no match for a Viking ship. That's, that's not happening. Viking ship wins every time, you know. Oh, no, never. I, I, where I grew up, I saw a deer jump over fences all the time, getting, getting away from dogs. Never have I ever seen a Viking ship jump a fence. That's true, but if the deer was in the water with the Viking ship, that Viking ship would be all over that deer. Oh, you can't pick your place. Boats live in the water. Our ba- our battle's in a pasture. Well, okay, if it was a land Viking ship, like, you know, like if it was chasing land sharks, maybe. I'll give you that. But I don't think Vikings hunted sharks. Deer, however, they loved some deer. You're, you're thinking of deer dogs. Deers, deers don't, uh, or deer, don't uh, swim, I don't think, too much. I mean, they do. Oh, not, not well. Not, did you see that post, uh, the picture I sent you, the deer dog? I did. I saw the deer dog. It was like a little fawn deer dog. So, ironically enough, uh, Ben Wilson, Ben Makes KC, is who found that was Oswald's dog, his deer dog, 
that he I don't know where he found it, but I'm like, man, that that looks like Oswald's dog. It's a deer dog. I'll have to put the put the thing up on on Instagram for everybody to see. It's it's it is a deer dog for sure. It's it looks. There's no question about it. Yeah, like a baby baby deer dog. Yeah, yeah. It's got all the white spots. Yeah, not not to be confused with a fondue dog. A, a cheese dog. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I would confuse that. Oh, I'm sorry, Tanda. Were you done with your personal history? No, I've 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 haven't done a lot of carving. I think probably the thing I'm most proud of, and it's not a great carving at all, but it was something that I just picked up a piece of two by four when I was visiting some relatives and carved uh, a little likeness of our little Shih Tzu dog that we had at the time that looked somewhat like a dog. So I was so I was very proud of it. Did you dip the carving in cheese? I didn't dip the carving in cheese. I didn't finish it in any way. I just I, I brought it home and I haven't uh, I haven't carved on it since. It's just sat around the shop here and there. But uh, no no dipping dogs. I mean a good Velveeta dip would definitely put a nice finish on it. It could. And you know, if you had a block of Velveeta, it would be just the right size for Tom's little roll-off truck. That's true. It could just it could just drive around like leaving blocks of Velveeta. Tom, you should send that truck with a block of Velveeta. That's about the right size mm. for the uh, for the dumpster there. Yeah. That's clever. You know what? I kind of want to keep this now as a serving tray. I, I, I was just thinking about it. You know what, Tom, since we're talking about carving... You should get that block of Velveeta and carve it into the shape of the dumpster. <laughs> I mean, that would be that would be classic right there on top of a gold truck. Done. Ah, it's the best. Done. So, Tom, do you have a personal history with carving? Uh, a little bit. I didn't know it until four minutes before we started recording. Uh, that's when I do my best thinking. We used to go hiking a lot and camping as a kid and it was just so much fun when dad would give you a pocket knife and you'd pick up a stick and you'd just start carving and by carving I mean shaving off all the bark and then putting a pointy end on it and that's as far as I ever got and then I remembered maybe three years ago my sister got me this I think they're called man crates it's just a gift website for I think it's mancrates.com even but it was a it was a complete pipe making kit for a tobacco pipe and it comes it came with a pre-drilled <clears throat> block of briar wood for carving your own pipe and it sat on the shelf for at least a year but I eventually got to it and it was it was as enjoyable as like pen turning and I, that's that was oh that sounded like a dig it was very enjoyable like pen turning where you can do this you you work on this thing and then it's done and you can so to speak use it you can take the pen off the lathe and actually start writing with it and it's just it's so satisfying so i made my first pipe and it looks a lot like a pipe which was really cool and then i bought some material to do a couple more and i i, mean, I think i've made three now i've never i don't think i've put tobacco in any of them i'm not a smoker but the, the art of it just is appealing to me. Um, I do want to, I, I do intend to do more of it. I bought a bunch of supplies from, a, I think, Grant Batson on Instagram. He's a really high-end pipe maker. I mean, some of his pipes are thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, but he doesn't know what 
He actually doesn't know what the pipe will sell for until it's finished. He kind of has a self-grading process where, like, certain pipes are premium versus, uh, you know, he'll sell, like, a $400 pipe because it's got defects in the wood. And he doesn't know that until it's done, which is so... It's just something really cool about that. So that's that's kind of weird. Well, not weird. I, I find uh, some some common threads in that because a lot of times when I buy vices and somebody will ask me, how much is that? And it's it's not done. It's just like a, as is. It's all rusty and dirty. And I tell everybody the same thing. I say, I have no idea until it's finished and painted. Until I see how it looks, I don't know what the price is. And that's my answer to everybody. Right. Yeah, there's something cool about that art form. I mean, that exists in a lot of different art forms, but when you're making that pipe, you don't know what it's going to look like until it's done. Like, the wood kind of guides you down a path, and as you're seeing these shapes come into form, you know, they kind of guide you in different directions as you're going. Uh, You can't really go into it with too much of a plan. It just doesn't work out that way. And again, that's very little experience doing this, but... You know, that, that was the appealing thing to me in that process. That's a, that's really interesting to kind of do it in reverse that way where you, you price it after where if you've ever done like contract work or commissions, then that $400 pipe is just, is kind of scrap because someone paid you to Mm -hmm. make this particular thing. And at some point you say, well, this isn't going to meet their expectations. And especially if it was a commission, you don't sell that other one for 400 it's just you start over and so it'd be nice to be able to just make something you know out of your own head and then uh, and then price it accordingly right and i and i think um uh you know he's obviously gained the reputation where he can do that but he doesn't do you know straight commissions he just makes pipes that he wants to make and then and he has such a following that people want want them you know, so when I lived out in the Hamptons in New York, the Hamptons are basically like all beaches, like every town has a beach, and you know it's kind of like a thing to go to the beaches and just walk around, and they're not really crowded so i I don't like the beach to like get in the water. I always go and I look for things, and one of the times I was there, I found a pipe that had washed up ashore ashore ashore. And there was a tiny seashell, or I can't remember if it was a seashell, if it was a stone, or I don't know, it might have been even a pearl, I can't remember. But it was in, it was lodged in the pipe. Like it wasn't a big pipe, but like where the opening is, where you put the tobacco, there was a thing in there, like, like you were smoking the seashell or whatever it was. And I looked at it, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And, you know, it was obviously it had been out in the water a long time and it was weathered and it was not in very good condition, but you could tell it was a pipe. So I'm like, well, I guess this is coming home with me and I still have it. It's in the workshop in a baggie in a box of it says uh, projects like projects box, like things to do in the future. Like at some point, this pipe that I found, like, I don't know, 12 years ago will become something. Maybe I'll send it to you, Tom. You could do something with it. Smoke a snail. But yeah, yeah, little little uh, escargot. You know the uh, um, talking about making something and then having having the price set by the people buying it. Um, do you guys follow Roman Boutine? Oh, the the carver. 
on on Instagram that, that carves the coins and makes all of the really intricate yep. mechanisms and everything inside of the coins. Yep. That yep. it's just amazing and and it doesn't matter how many times he posts that you know these are not auctioned off or for sale somewhere they're you know if you live in Russia and can get me the money or I'm doing it as a commission for you but you know and and still everything he does you know, it's just post after post of how much do you want? I'll pay X amount. It's, uh, but amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. He's really created a niche for himself. That is like one of those things that is super simple, but no one else that I've seen is doing anything like it. Like he's, he's, you know. Well, the, the, the hobo, you know, I mean, the coin carving is, you know, there are a lot of people doing that, but some of the mechanisms and stuff that he does are, are unreal. I mean, he's basically doing like old school watchmaker stuff. Mm-hmm. That that's like the 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 level of craftsmanship that he's putting into it. So I didn't think I was going to have anything to add to this section until I remembered I actually did do some carving. There is a an item called a tagua nut, or more accurately, it's a palm seed, and it's also known as veggie ivory. So if, if you look at one of these things, it's about the size of an egg, chicken egg, and it's covered in sort of like a bark, like a brown, barky substance. But if you take that off, what's beneath looks like ivory, like an ivory with almost like a little bit of a wood grain to it. And it's very hard. It is polishable. And I came into contact with this stuff when I was a jeweler. And there are people that actually make entire businesses off just carving these tagua nuts. And the pattern on them is very almost like a, to me, it looks almost like a butterfly wings. Like it's, it's very elliptical. And so I started, I bought several of them. You can get them almost, you can get them online very easily, but you can also get them at like craft fairs and things like that. But I started carving um, the nuts like I would just carve out where it looked to me like the butterfly wing pattern. And so I'd leave the brown part on and then I'd carve out the insides to make like a relief so that it would have two-tone contrast. And then as I got more and more comfortable with it, I started doing other things. And um, the two things that come to mind are uh, my mother really loves chipmunks and she loves bunnies. So uh, for one year, I carved her a chipmunk out of a tagua nut, and then another year I carved her a bunny rabbit, and she still has them. I'm sure I can get some pictures. I mean, I'll probably put them up on the uh, on the the thumbnail for the podcast. And beyond that, I mean, I haven't really carved anything significant that's worth mentioning. Um, but the tagua nuts are really they take a nice polish, and they're very hard though. They're not like there's different ways to carve them. Like I've used actual gravers, like jewelry gravers, which are like miniature chisels. But it's they work much better if you're using like a Dremel or a Fordham tool to kind of grind away. Um, the only thing that I will say about them is if you go too deep, tagua nuts are hollow because, you know, it's a nut. So the inside, if you go too far in, it has sort of like this, it's hard to describe, but it's like a crevice I guess is the best way to put it 
Like as soon as you punch through, it just looks like a ravine. And you really don't have any kind of guide as to like how far is too far. Like once you punch through, that's it. It's just, it's, it's, you're in there. So it's a little bit of skill involved in carving them, but it's a fun thing. And it's, they're, they're not that expensive. Yeah, that's cool. I'll send you the picture of my, of my dog and we'll have like an animal theme going. So Tom, you could, you could send in a carved animal as well. And we'll have a, a squirrel and a, and a dog and a bunny rabbit and, Maybe 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 you could do a gopher or something. Yeah, one of my pipes actually. It does. I I don't say it resembles a gorilla, but it, I'd have to point out what I mean by that on the pipe for you to understand it. But that was the thought process as I was doing it, which is funny. Years ago, I got this uh, last minute Christmas request. Apparently, my my brother in law liked some show that had this thematic. Uh, mention in it of an ore that had been painted or carved to be symbolic. And so my sister says, I want you to do a picture of an ore. I, I want you to do an ore with a rabbit on one side and or a rabbit smoking a pipe on one side and uh, and a canoe on the other or something. I mean, it was like this really vague and I'm like, like specifically or a particular. And she was like, no, just, just like a pipe on one side and a, and a rabbit on the other. And it was from some movie and, and, and she wouldn't give me. Yeah. Uh, uh, the bear. And she wouldn't give me any, I mean, that was it. It was, that was, that was the prompt. And so I came up with this like really unusual graphic where there was, oh, it was a, a panther, like a, a, a girl and a panther on one side and a rabbit and a pipe on the other or something. And so I, I came, I came up with, uh, it's from the movie, the edge with Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where it was, but she didn't even like, couldn't even point me to the movie to begin with. And so I, uh, I ended up uh, having a, like a girl sitting in a canoe with a panther tattoo making a bunny <laughs> shadow figure where the bunny was smoking a pipe or something, something bizarre. But Tom, uh, is that the one where the, the, the bunny rabbit is smoking like a um, Chinese pipe? It's like super long, goes down low. I'm, I try to Google the image, but that movie came out before the internet, I think, and nobody talked about it. I, I, I think I, I think I went and looked for it, but it wasn't, it was just like mentioned. And then it, there was like, I, I later went back and looked and after I figured out, after she gave him the gift and I found out what it was for. And there was just like a scene, a scene where it flashes by sort of thing. I found it. PJ, you're right. It is a, um, it's a very, it's like a peace pipe. The rabbit's smoking a peace pipe. And on the other side is a silhouette of a panther. There you go. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old timey commercial interludes and stuff. Day, mates. This is Irwin. I'm the regional manager for Johnson's down here in Australia. And if we got a product for you, we're shipping it straight up to the States for you Yanks. I know you got a lot of carvers up there, and you got a lot of chips falling all over the place, don't you? You got nothing to do with them chips, and they make a big mess. Well, let me tell you something. Down here, we don't have that kind of problem. Because we have exactly what you need for your shop. We got the chip chomper. That's right, straight from Tasmania. We got Wallaroos trained to eat up the chips. They just gobble them right up. Do you want a furry pet that you can't touch? Well, the chip chomper is just for you. Let me tell you something, it's the best. 
You don't have to feed it anything except wood chips. Unless you're not a carver. And let me tell you something. If you don't got no wood chips, it's going to eat something else in your shop. These things are mighty hungry. They're very furry and all teeth. The Wallaroo is a beast. But if you got lots of chips, it's the best. Shipping right now coming into the States. Don't worry about no tariffs. We take care of that on the down low. You know what I mean? So get out your credit cards. Get a wallet. Get a wallaby. Anything that's got cash in it for only... Oh, jeez. I don't know what it is, American. Down here, it's 5000 If you want a chip chumper, it's 5000 So let's just say up there, it's 5000 Get in touch with us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills if you want your very own chip chumper. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. Tom, I'm not going to you first, because I'm going to go first. It's design! <laughs> no, I call, I, I put, I called shotgun on design for life, so you, you can't take design. Actually, I'm not going to take design, and I'm actually going to put a 10-episode ban on design. We're not allowed to pick design as a crossbreeding skill until episode 30. All right, but I... We already picked next week's topic, and it's design? No, no. Ne- <laughs> uh, Major look. Next week's topic is casting, Tom. That's not even close to design. Oh, it doesn't matter. Just tell me five minutes before the show, and I'll, I'll know what topic it you is. You know what goes well with casting? Design. Design. I was going to say wallaroos, but... That's for next week's show. Tom, what skill goes well with yep. carving? Uh, all of the ones where you are like drawing or or sculpting or uh, like I put that into the artist category and I know artist is a weird word. Are you trying to say design without saying design, Tom? You know, design's a good word for it. I'd, I'd have to go with design. Yeah, you can't take that one. You got to come up with another one. No, I always put carving on a pedestal with like painting, like painting portraits or painting you know that kind of like bob ross painting and um it shouldn't be on a pedestal none of that stuff should be it you know you know what the problem is we just never see enough beginners or or bad carvers like if you're a bad carver you're probably not sharing your work Unless you're me, I'm gonna start sharing my bad carving work. I've posted some stuff on Instagram. I'll I'll definite I'll definitely send my dog, my my two by four <laughs> dog carving with a knife. Sidebar. Perfect. Tanda. Yeah. Tom just is rambling this entire episode. I don't know is what the f- is going on. I think that uh, he got confused with the episode twenty twenty one thing and thought this was a drinking episode. I have been noticing him drinking the entire time, but I didn't think that was... He's always drunk when he's on the show. It's, it's not really a problem. Anyway, I don't know what... To, he just, He's not answering the question. He's just, like, talking about, like, painting things. I don't know. How, how do I redirect him? I, I don't know that you can. Isn't that what Tom's on the podcast for? I thought oh, that was have, his job. You do have a point. Um, well, I guess we're just going to have to let him keep talking. Oh, look, he's back. Yeah, he's never seen the script. Hey, Tom. Hey, hey. What's up? So so you wanted to paint one of the carvings? Is that what you were saying? Exactly. Yep. I'd say, you know what? If I have to pinpoint one skill, it would be um, 
uh, Easter egg coloring goes really well with carving. That makes total sense to me. Yeah. Thank you. I thought so. Tanda, what skill goes well with carving? Well, well, Tom said this, but I think that, you know, it's probably hard to pick out of his rants. So I'm going to just go with sculpting because I see them as kind of being pretty much the same the same thing in many ways, or at least the kind of carving that I, I enjoy uh, looking at is is very akin to sculpting. Mm. Mm. Okay. That's, that's about as good as Easter eggs. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give that one. You know, I have a, I have a question though. This is legitimate. So sculpting, is that purely the removal of material or is adding material like a clay sculpture part of that? I think so. I mean, I, I, any sculpting I've done has usually been kind of a positive process where you're adding adding clay to an armature and then and you do often come back and carve carve some away as well so mm-hmm. it's kind of a combination of the two but i think it kind of takes the same kind of sense of 3d proportion i'm i'm pretty sure that sculpting was outlawed in the uh, in the early 1900s maybe even the 1800s Oh, I'm no. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of scalping. Scalping. I'm of scalping. No. That, yeah, scalping. That's that's a. Uh, you can still do it, but it's tricky. Yeah, people don't like it. People don't like it. Yeah. <clears throat> so as for me, uh, I've got a very simple skill that goes well with carving. I'm thinking specifically of wood carving, and that's let's say knife sharpening or edge sharpening. I don't know carving tools, tool sharpening. You know, you've got to be able to in order to carve well. You need super sharp tools, and if you don't sharpen them properly, they don't work. So it's definitely a skill. It's a very minor skill, but still, you you need to be good at it. Sidebar, Tom? Tom? Yeah, yeah, um, I was going to do that, yeah, too. Um, you know, PJ actually comes up with, like, real things that make sense on this show. And, you ever feel guilty? And I, I'm feeling a little bit guilty. I think I may have to up yeah. my game a little bit. Not not a lot. I mean, I don't want to shock him or anything, but right. may, maybe maybe we should take it a little more seriously before we get kicked off. Uh, yeah, I think I think if you make a slight adjustment, and I just dive deeper in the wrong direction, I think it'll balance out well. Okay. Yeah. That's it's a deal. It's a <laughs> deal. Yeah. Oh, perfect. there he is. So. The reason I bring this up is, I, I should have mentioned this earlier when we were talking about personal history, but since I've been going to auctions, I do have a kind of closeted fascination with carving, and I have been collecting carving tools throughout the last couple of years at auctions. And I've actually got a, it's like one of those organizer cases that's sort of like a suitcase with a clear top that's full of carving tools, and I probably have like... I don't know, six sets of carving tools, individual sets. And then on top of that, I also have a full, like, 19, see the 1950s or 1970s exacto. It's a dollhouse carver's tool mm. set. Like, it's, it's a full, like, I don't know, like a 12-inch by 20-inch by by six inch wood box that's full of different carving attachments and like a tiny little wood hand plane and all these little like a lot of stuff i don't even know what it's for so uh, it's it's, i don't know it's i feel like i'm gearing up to carve but i haven't actually carved anything Uh, to your point though i think sharpening 
is the biggest roadblock to doing that. I also have a carving set, you know, something basic, I'm sure. It's 12 or 13 pieces. And I I don't even know how to begin sharpening those things. There are some funky shapes, and I'm just going to screw them up. Like, you know, you can, you can really mess them up to the point that they're unrecoverable. So I've just been hesitant to try. So I will tell you a little secret that I picked up when I was uh, big into bonsai. The, uh, the bonsai community is big on sharp tools as well. And I picked up, I think it was from Spiderco. I think that's the name of the company. They have a four-tool kit that is, they're basically like ceramic rods, and they're different shapes. Like one is flat, one's round, one's tear-shaped, one's triangle-shaped. And they're for sharpening your tools by just running over the edge. It's a fine ceramic, so they never get dull like they're, or I don't know, dull. They never lose their concentricity. I don't know how to say it. But anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, you can use that to put like a new edge on if you're not doing like a full grind on the tool. And it works really well for like funny curved shapes, like a lot of those uh, spoon uh, spoon carving, not gouges, but what are they? This like the spoon knives. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Those have really weird curved beaks and whatnot. So you could take one of these things and just run it over the edge, and then it's like boom! It's it's just like it's back to where it was. Interesting. I'll have to look into that. You could com- combine the two hobbies and find a big tree and then just carve it into a bonsai tree. Save you a lot of time, probably. That that doesn't work, Tanda. That's not how it goes. No. <laughs> You could put some little green... You could, like, just carve it out of a big tree and then put some broccoli on the ends. You're going to have to call Tim Sway on that. I do have a broccoli bear shirt. I say, old chap, it's time for Patreon's parlor. All right, it's time for our very first ever patron's parlor because we have... It's a special... The special, I don't even know how to say this. Our fifth patron member, our fifth Patreon member, is also the first at the $5 level. Ben Wilson, Ben Makes KC, is our fifth Patreon member, and he gets at the $5 level a custom skill set. And that's what we're here to do. We've got to figure out what skill works for Ben. Ben is a fellow junk hunter. He goes out there, he goes picking. He, you know, goes through, rummages through dumpster dives and old buildings and rusted out husks of farms and all kinds of stuff like that. So he needs a a custom skill that befits his station. What do you guys think? Oh, we we definitely need to confer a skill upon him. I don't know. I I mean, I've seen some tasty food on his on his Instagram. So, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. so it sounds like he's, or at least it looks like he's pretty good at uh, steak rating already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking something more generic, something more useful in daily life. This might be a bit of a su- This might be more of a superpower than a skill. But maybe the um, the ability to walk into any bathroom and the toilet paper automatically converts itself to an over versus an under toilet paper roll. I think that'd be super helpful. I agree with you, Tom. Yeah, yeah. I, I no, do, I think I, yeah, the orienteering. Yeah, I've heard yeah. of that before. I, I think that that's a great skill for somebody to have. 
but that's also kind of like yeah. a skill that anybody could have, I think. I don't think that's good for Ben. You know what I mean? I don't think anybody could have it. Everybody uses the bathroom, Tom. Well, but not everybody walks yeah. in and the role just reverses. That's very true. I can't argue that. Exactly. Can't argue that. I, I don't know. I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, he picks up a lot of rusty tools. What if his skill was the ability to lick a tool that, that was rusty and instantly know how old it is? Like, that's a skill that's worth having. Like, you know, you just pick up tool. That's a great skill. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, oh, oh, 1932. What, what if, what if, um, yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Let me throw something else at you. What if, uh, since he's a junk hunter, what if he could find a not rusty tool, almost like the Midas touch, he could just touch the tool, it instantly becomes rusty, gets a massive discount, and then and then does his thing at, at home and fixes it up. So, so the skill is he makes everything rusty? Yeah, pretty much. That sounds more like a curse to me. Well, I, I don't know. It's... Teach his own. One man's treasure. Uh, uh, that doesn't... What would we call that? I mean, it wouldn't certainly wouldn't be a Midas touch. I mean, what would you call it if it was a Rusty? The Rusty's touch. Rusty's rage. The Rustaroo. Sounds like a product at Johnson's. It does sound like that. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like the, the licking and the age thing was a little, a little bit more useful. I'm good with that. You can just lick it and tell its age? Yeah, you lick the thing and you're like, oh, this was made in, you know, December 4th and, you know, 1964. Like, ah, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's just here. One of the things when you're when you're junk hunting, you're always finding things. You have no idea what it's for or where it came from. And dating it is it's very difficult unless somebody else has already done the research and it's online. Like, I, I'm sure I have stuff from the 1800s. I, I can't prove it. I mean, it looks that old, you know, it's like, I don't know what this thing is, but you know, there's, there's the only time you can actually like identify it is if you get like an old tool catalog, like from the 1800s and like, oh yeah, that's a whip danger. Yeah. We use those for, uh, you know, pulling cattle by the tail or whatever they're for. I don't know. But yeah, I think knowing the date would help narrow a lot of things down. Yeah, it, it like could it. be. I mean, I mean, oftentimes, I mean, the first thing you do is just walk up and lick something. Dating it's usually out of the question. But uh, that is very true. Yeah, yeah. that's you a different know, kind of dating, to, though. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, though, licking something at a garage sale that also gets you a discount. So I'm liking this more and more. It's a double deal. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, if somebody sees you licking something they're selling, you might get it for less. Especially in 2020 and 2021. That's what are we, very what are true. What are we going to call yeah. it? What are we going to call this skill? Is it like French dating or? Hmm. The 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 taster's yes. choice. Yes, it's called French dating. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I just caught that after I said God. it out loud. French oh, dating. Oh man. Uh, I think that is that is it. So. That's it. That's it. That is it. Ben Wilson, by the power invested in the three of us on this podcast that has no power whatsoever, we bestow upon you the skill set of French dating. Skilleroo! Welcome to first base. May your tongue be uh, happy. I don't know. I have nothing.
indeed. Nothing better than the Queen's word. Hmm. Cheerio. All right, boys and girls, it is time for short and sweet. Tom, you got anything you want to say? Wrap up the show. I I do. I want to encourage everybody to pick up a sharp object and poke it at something until it looks like something else. Oh, that's not no. We, we I, don't endorse that here at the at the podcast. Don't don't poke sharp what, objects. What I say? Anything. Tanda, Tanda, do you do you have anything you want to no, wrap up the get show? Pokey. Don't get pokey, listen to Tom. Fine. Don't listen to Tom. Uh, don't take it to school though. Yeah, don't keep it out of school. If you ha- if you have a new a shiny new pocket knife and you're in fourth grade, don't take it to school. You'll lose it. Even even if you're my age. Hey, uh, I would say, you know, everybody I'm sure is already, but if you're not um, following Bobby Duke arts, some amazing carving, um, huge variety of media and from rocks to casts to wood. I mean, everything really, really cool stuff. And I think one of his, I think his first video was a huge carving of like a fish hook. Um, just, just incredible stuff. That, that was the one that made him popular. Yeah, he had done videos before that. That big hook from the movie, the mm-hmm. was it Moana? I think was the movie. Mulan. Yeah. Mu- no, no, it wasn't Mulan. No, Moana. Mu- Mulan was Moana. the one that was in China. Oh, okay. Which, we're talking about the one that I was don't in know Hawaii. the movie. I don't. Uh... But yeah, the giant magic hook. That was the one that caught on, and then he it went viral. He'd done videos before that, but I guess like me, nobody watched them because nobody watched my videos either. But yeah, he is like the poster boy for carving. He does a lot of carving. Yeah, he's a huge inspiration because he 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 presents it in such a way where he just kind of breaks whatever rules might be out there and, and knocks down all the gatekeepers. And he's like, you know, even when he shows you his bits, he's like, I'm going to use some of these things. And it's just like, use the one that works, however that works out, you know? And it's just, it's so refreshing to hear that mentality. Totally. Yep. Good follow if you're not already. And check out his YouTube. So I was going to bring this up during the dealer's corner, but I completely forgot or something. I got distracted. I don't know. But I got suckered on Sunday. And I want to tell everybody because it rarely ever happens. It's hard to get something past me. Do but we have a Sunday sucker segment? We probably need one. We do now. Yeah. So I was the Sunday sucker in a bad way. And uh, what happened was I was really jonesing for a dealer's corner. And I found this sweet auction. I look for all my auctions on auctionzip.com. Not sponsored, but that's where I look. And I found this one. It had machinist tools. It had uh, Emirates Pattern Maker's Vice. It had, like, all this cool stuff. It had a cool little portable brazing kit, which I really wanted because I got to do some brazing. And I'm like, man, this is going to be great. I can get I know I can get at least a couple good things and it was for Sunday at 6 p.m. and I'm looking at this and I'm going man 6 p.m. that's kind of a weird time for an auction usually they're at like 9 in the morning 10 at the morning I'm like okay so it's an hour and 15 minutes away I pack a meal because you know six o'clock I'm gonna be hungry I drive all the way out there I get to the auction house and there's nobody there like it's just empty. The building is dark. The whole everything is plowed. Like it's like you could park, but there's no one there. I'm like, what is going on? So I pull up auction zip. I look at the listing. I've got the correct date. I've got the correct time. I look at it. I'm looking. I don't see anything else on there. It hasn't been canceled because of snow, 
what is going on. So then I go to the auctioneer's website. And what does it say? First thing, online auction tonight. You. <laughs> hey, PJ, let's go to Candy Mountain. Come on, PJ. Yeah, yeah. So, Do you, do you guys remember the Charlie the Unicorn meme? No. Yeah. No. Check check it out if you're if you're listening. So I go and try to get into the online auction which throws me into several different loops because apparently they're using a different hosting site which I had logged onto before and forgot the password. So then I had to reset my password and I'm doing all this from my phone in the car in the cold. And so I, I keep going in circles finally I get logged on. I open up the thing and they had put estimated prices on everything that was there. So automatically, from the get-go, the opening bids were jacked up. They didn't start at like $5 and go up. A lot of them were starting at like 50 bucks and going up. Like the Emmert Pattern Maker's Vice started at 50 bucks. Actually, uh, no, I take that back. They estimated the value at 200 to $400, and it was already at 210 and so I couldn't even bid on anything. I had to basically eat my sandwich and then go home. And I was, I was very unhappy. So mm. that was that sucks. because some idiot forgot to put on auction zip that it was an online auction. Online auctions in general kind of kind of stink. Too many people. Because it just opens it up to everybody. So you never happen upon that day that just kind of is a low turnout day anymore. The only thing that I think worked in my favor for online auction was the very, very first auction I caught on to like three or four years ago. It was a live online auction, meaning the auction was taking place at the auction house, but you could also bid online while they were doing it. And that is where I got my 14-inch Rockwell bandsaw for $56. And I got very lucky because they had, I believe, four bandsaws total. And so the other three bandsaws had come first. And when it came to that one, the last one, I guess all the other guys had already gotten a bandsaw. So they, were, they weren't really like fighting. Like it was me and one other guy that was bidding. And when it got up to 56 bucks, he's like, oh, no, I've already got one. I don't want this one. So then I got it. Nice. And other than that... I had one other auction, which was the exact same thing that happened two years ago. I went, to, had the address, I showed up, and it was an online auction. But the guys were actually there. This place, nobody was there. But I got to the location, and the people that were, that it was like their stuff, they were showing uh, like real estate investors or somebody around the property, like they were trying to sell the property. So there was like a group of people there, and I'm thinking, man, this is a small group of people for an auction. There was like six people. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm here to register for the auction. They're like, Duh, no. <laughs> like, what do you mean, no? There's an auction today. Yeah, but it's an online auction. What are you talking about? Oh, great. But I did that when I was able to remedy. I just went out in my truck, signed in, and I just bid on stuff. Like I got, I managed to get a couple things. And then um, once it was over, I just walked back in. I'm like, all right, I want a bunch of stuff. I want to pay and take my things. <laughs> and and the guy looks at me and he's like, well, how, how are you going to pay? I'm like, I've got cash. He goes, oh, 
Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take cash. <laughs> so that was, Tom, do you remember the, uh, the the Delta dust collector that I had at Tony's Slip and Slide that I gave away? I think it was gone before I got there. Well, that was from that auction. That's where that came from. Oh, nice. Anyway, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. Rant requests. Back by popular request, we've got more rant requests. And uh, people want us to talk about things, guys. I I don't know why, but... They think we know stuff, and um, who am I to correct them, right? So the first one comes in from Old Timey Tools. He says he wants us to talk about people who use eBay listings not sold to price their items. I think, yeah, I think that's a pretty common, common fallacy to say, oh, well, I saw one listed on eBay for, for $3,000. <laughs> it ne- never sold, but... right. Um, I, I don't really have an opinion on this. I mean, it's, I, I look at things that have sold as a way to, to price things, but not things that haven't sold. But you uh, never had anyone say, oh, these are, these are listed on eBay for, for $400 all over the place. Oh, yeah. Whether they've sold or not. Yeah. yeah I've had people say that. I don't, I don't really care, but they have said it. <laughs> yeah, they're crazy. E- eBay is the most overpriced place to price anything, though. Right. You know, it's it's. Uh, I I when they are on there, I have seen Delta bandsaws that look like they got pulled out of the Titanic for eight hundred dollars. And I'm looking at the thing like it's got to be completely seized. I bet there's not a single moving part on this tool. Eight hundred dollars? God, I, I I that was the last one I saw. The only thing that tempted me about it was that it had a riser, which are like practically unicorns. There's those those risers to change the blade height are are so hard to find. Like I am, I f- still to this day, I'm waiting to find like in my area a delta bandsaw with a riser that I can just buy, take the riser off, and then just resell the saw without the riser because I've seen those risers go for anywhere from. Three hundred to five hundred dollars. It's just unbelievable. Those things are ridiculous. I, I want to make a riser for my for my little lathe, my little jet lathe, so I can do metal spinning. And I don't. I I think there are bound to have been people out there who have done it. But to lift the headstock up and put a longer belt on it so that I get a little more throw. So some of those uh, bucks that I bought for metal spinning or that I received for metal spinning, I was given. Um, can be used. So I may end up having to make one because I'm not sure if they're out there. I don't think that's as critical, though, Tanda, the, what you're trying to do, because it's kind of like isolated. Like if you're, you're basically just raising the motor up. 
but with the with the bandsaw, it's got like yeah, it has to be aligned. Like it's got to be perfect, otherwise it's not the blade is not going to track, and it, it's got to be locked into place. What you're doing is basically like a kind of like what Chris Zepp was doing with uh, his bridge ports, where he was putting that they were actually made to go yeah. like that. The no, spacers riser blocks on bridge ports yeah. are pretty common. So it's, yeah, it's kind of analogous where you're just yeah. uh, giving yourself more clearance. But you could just custom make one of those. I, I I don't see any problem. Like, how could you mess it up? You know what I mean? Like, it's not aligned with anything. Oh, I can think of a half a dozen ways to mess it up. But uh, no, it would be it would be it would should be pretty straightforward. All right. Well, let's move on to our next uh, topic here. Let's see if I can pronounce this. She C G, nineteen fifty eight said. Salvage items unsoldered from PC boards with multiple pins. Um, mm. So I'm I'm guessing he wants to know how to unsolder a multiple pin product from a circuit board. Um, yeah, solder solder is it ever worth it? Yes, solder suckers are uh, are the approach. I mean, if you have a, a good solder sucker, Definitely. and you can heat up each solder joint and and suck that solder out. Yeah. Solder wick is another option. Um, and then get get it get it where you can then, and if you have a hot air soldering wand, then you can heat it up and pull it out. But it is tricky. I'm, I'm going to say this about the solder suckers because I have two. Um, one of them is like a standalone plastic. It's the kind where it's like it's spring-loaded and you're supposed to heat up the, the part first and then put the solder sucker on it and just hit a button and it's supposed to quickly suck the solder out. Mm -hmm. um, those I find are number one, they don't work very well. And number two, they start to melt. Um, the one that I, the second one I have, which I prefer more is actually a soldering iron that has like a pipette, like a, like almost like a rubber, one of those rubber noses, mm -hmm. um, attached to another tube. And so you use the soldering tip to go around and heat everything up. And then you just quickly push the rubber bulb and it just sucks it right out of there while it's still hot because the problem right. with the other one is from the time you move the soldering iron until you get the other thing on it it cools down just a tiny bit and that worked great um i've never used the the solder wick tom i've seen them before but the thing i don't like about them is once they're like clogged up with solder then that's it like you need more they're not really reusable well yeah i mean solder wick works really well but if you're just reclaiming parts from boards and unless you have a source of solder wick that's cheap, you can go through a lot of solder wick because it's kind of impregnated with flux and and is, you know, somewhat of a specialty thing. And so it costs a little bit, but you can certainly do that. If you're taking chips off boards, and this is kind of a tangential chip uh, tip, but if you're taking chips off of boards and you're interested in preserving the circuit board and not the chip, which is often the case, like say you're making a making a prototype of a product and you've soldered a chip on and then you realize that it's, you know, something's wrong with it, it's burned out or you need to change it out and you're trying to desolder all of the pins and and you're lifting traces on your circuit board or running your circuit board in the process, um, a good tip for that is just cut the pins, just take an X-Acto knife and just push it down next to the chip and cut all the pins off of the chip. Just cut the leads off mm -hmm. the chip because the chip's burned up anyway. And then it's real easy to desolder it pin by pin and pull mm -hmm. them out without lifting traces on your circuit board and messing stuff up. Don't be afraid to break stuff. Yeah. So, But hot air, hot air soldering irons where they have the tip that matches the size of the chip 
work work well for that. All right. One of our patrons, I, I can't believe he's asking this, this Wood Turning by Alan Scannell wants us to talk about anti-maskers versus mask worn around the chin. Oh, you know, I've got a great anti-masker story. Um, and I didn't realize that this was uh, as prevalent as it is. But uh, so I was driving down the road the other day and I saw this truck and it is rattle can gold. And it looked like they just held a piece of cardboard up to, to define their lines. Mm. Um, no masking whatsoever. And they, even the windows, they painted like it's gold and white. They painted up to like halfway up the window and left a slit in the window Mm -hmm. that's unpainted, but they painted over the glass. That's classy. classy. I I was following them and they are, and the, the tailgate is like had been in a wreck or something like bashed in and the dent is just like bridged over with probably duct tape and it's, and it's painted and it, but it's painted. So that's masked. It's painted to match the, the truck. And then the tires are painted white, like, like rattle canned white, not, not just a, like a white wall, but like the tires are painted white on the outside. What kind of truck was this? I don't know. It's like a, it's like a Chevy, uh, like a pickup truck, kind of like a lowered Chevy pickup truck. Yeah. And so I see this truck and I'm like, well, to each his own. That's, uh, that's interesting. Um, and I just happened to be talking to my daughter and I was like, I drove by this truck the other day and she's like, Oh, that truck. It's like all over social media. <laughs> I have pictures of that truck. And she like instantly just goes and picks it oh up. Oh my gosh. And apparently it's, it's like seen all over town and people, and of course you have to take a picture of it and go, look what somebody did to their truck. And so uh, it's it's a thing, no no masking whatsoever. That that is um, that definitely on topic. Terrible decision. Um, to- totally off topic. When I lived in Brooklyn, uh, right around where I lived, I used to see this guy all the time. There was a, I believe it was a hearse at one point. Some guy had started welding plate steel onto this hearse, and. It looked like something straight out of Mad Max. And I have a picture of it, like, on my phone somewhere from years ago. But it's got, like, spikes all over it. And it's got, like, one of those, um, I don't even know what they're called, like the thing on the front that's got, like, it's split in two and curved. So if you hit something, it, like, bucks it cow, off to the side. Catcher. A, a cow catcher. Or um, Bambi, Bambi bars. No, no it wasn't. A, it was like a, it was almost like a snow plow. But it was, like... In the middle, it it was at like each side was at forty five degrees, mm, mm-hmm. and, and like on a train, like on a train, yeah. And this was on the front of the car, and like I'm, uh, isn't that a cow catcher? I don't have, I don't know. I'm not a farmer. I don't know what those things are called, man. <laughs> I'm not a farmer. I'm not an engineer. This this was in, this was in Brooklyn. No, no farmers farmers call them cow killers. Yeah, because they are. Anyway, this thing was. I don't know if it was famous <laughs> or not, but every time I saw it, I was just like, oh man, it's it's the Frankenstein mobile. Like, and it was all all the plate steel that he put on there, and all the spikes and everything were all completely rusted. Nothing was painted, and it looked to me like he like he was done. Like he wasn't still putting stuff on there. That was how he wanted it. He wanted it rusty and just like get out of my way, or you're gonna die. <laughs> That's, I'm gonna put you in the back of this hearse after I kill you. We're gonna go for a ride. So I I I think. Um, well, Tanda's 
answer was very valid. I want to address the the people that wear the masks around their chin, the chin strappers. That's what I call them. Them and the people that have the mask covering just their mouth, but their nose is open. I think I'm pretty much across the board in saying these people are morons. They do not understand basic physics. If it's not covering the holes where air comes into your face, it's not going to work. I have to add to this. Let's pretend, let's leave the the real world argument out of it for a minute. Uh, you haven't brought it up. I'm just saying like, whether you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask, these people don't fit into the, either of those categories. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It doesn't make any no. sense. It's like... No. They're semi-maskers instead of anti-maskers. They're, they're half-assers <laughs> is what they are. They're half-assers. Half-maskers? Half-maskers. Yeah. yeah it, this, this, it's just like your gene pool is going to disappear soon. Thank you for letting me know that I don't have to deal with you much longer. There's a, there's a guy out there, a meme. You can get the like the masks that are custom printed. You can mm-hmm. give a photo and they're custom printed. And he's got a mask that looks like his nose and mouth with a like surgical mask chin strap. Mm-hmm. So he has a mask, <laughs> but it is a picture of his face with a with a mask, like a blue mask on his chin. Oh, that's brilliant. That's the best. Oh, that's so yeah. good. I, I, that's so I think good. out of everything I've seen, probably the best one. I sent it around to a few people. I don't remember if I sent it to you guys, but there's a video on Instagram with these two women, one's filming the other one, and she just got this mask that has LEDs on the front. It's black, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. got some kind of sensor in it, and as she's like laughing and smiling, the LEDs are going all over the place, and then she just starts cracking up, and her cracking up, <laughs> yeah. and the mask laughing is just the best. <laughs> like, that makes the... It reminds me of uh, Chewbacca Mom. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly like Chewbacca Mom, yeah. where she's just cracking yeah. up the whole time. Pure joy. Oh, yeah. That is the best. <laughs> That's great. All right. We have one more question here, or one more thing to talk about. And it comes from our buddy, who knows? Why can't we get our things organized? Uh, didn't we do an entire he podcast watches, on... He watches my Instagram too much. Uh, didn't we do a podcast on organization? I, I thought we did. We did. I don't think we answered that question. We, we did, but I don't think anyone comes to our podcast for actual help. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I hope not. Well, maybe examples of what not to do at best. Okay, so I'm going to take a stab at this in like a little short, realistic way. If you can't get organized, it's because what you don't have organized doesn't have a place to go. Period. Yeah. Full stop. I have a lot of stuff that doesn't have a place to go. Making my point for me. That's, yeah. I mean. I will add to that. My my big problem also is that whenever I attempt to find homes for those things, I end up getting inspired and I get distracted and make something and make a bigger mess. That's a big problem. I don't see that as a problem. But I don't think it's a problem. I don't think it's a problem. Right? Exactly. That's a lifestyle. Yeah. That is a lifestyle. Yeah. So, I, um, who knows? I encourage you to do some soul searching and, uh, you know, reinvestigate. I did just get a, uh, a Facebook invite to, uh, make something 
shops Facebook page. I think he's just trying to drum up activity over there. Uh, I'm honestly surprised I wasn't already there. Maybe it's new. But he has on his banner photo, it's his shop. And I swear to you, I have never seen his shop as clean as it is in this photo. I don't know. When did he do that? Like, when did he ever clean his shop like that to take that photo? He must have just shoveled stuff out and taken the photo and then just shoveled it all back in. Because there is no way that place has ever been that clean. And that's not, Chris knows that's not a dig. He, that's reality. Uh, I couldn't believe how clean that picture that, was. That's, I was that's why I have a big shop. So if I ever need to like take a picture, I can move everything to the other side of the shop. Yeah. I, I hate to burst your bubble, Tom, but um, the reason it looks like that is because he Photoshopped the entire thing. I, you know, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, it's just, it's so clean. It's so clean. and it's too clean. I mean, it's an it's older photo. Clean. It's a different table. You, you only get bed. that clean with uh, photo editing software. That's what I'm trying to say. It's. I think, I'm going to ask him, I think the photo might be like 10 years old. Well, how long has he been in that shop? Years, right? Three, four, five years? I bet you it's the first day. Would it be a problem to spend like twice as long as it would take you to clean your shop? To Photoshop your shop? Oh, I said... I don't know. I'd say that's a problem. <laughs> I said make something. I meant make everything. I hope everybody knows that. Make everything shop. Chris Zepp. Oh, Chris Zepp shop. I'm, I'm trying to figure out who you're talking about. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought you were talking about Bob. You mean uh, David? Yeah. I thought you meant I like to make stuff. Make something is Dave. No, you're thinking make something TV. Oh, no. I wasn't thinking to make something. I like to I like to make something shop. <laughs> I, I like that all three yeah, of us no. were thinking of a different person. <laughs> and that's how universal this problem is. <laughs> no, David's shop is, is very neat. Spotless. Carpeted. His, his shop is like a living room. It's, it's, it's carpeted. Everything looks manicured. It's, it's making anything in there is practically like some kind of sin. You know, it's like you're you're if you if you dirty something up, you're going straight, right? You know, with walnut. That's why he's been through so many cameramen. That does make sense now. <laughs>